Hey everybody, it's Maddie C. Welcome back to the What Am I Making podcast. It is really great to have you here. This week on the pod, I welcome British singer-songwriter Peter Bruntnell to discuss a career writing songs, how it takes someone else to show us our worth sometimes, and why the songs can always be better. Let's get into it. Everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maddie C. I'm your host. Thank you so much for being here. I have a little bit of news, my friends. W A I M. What am I making? Turned one year old this week. Uh, February third marked the first year anniversary of the first essay that I published here on the Substack, and um, we're celebrating a birthday this week. And I'm really, really proud of of what this thing has become, and the work that I have done, and the community that we have built together. And I wanted to take a minute to say thank you. Um, this has been, and I've told you all this a lot, a pretty unbelievable journey for me. And um, I'm still really loving the hell out of it. And I'm really amazed at the consistency of the work that I've done. And the the fact that it's become a daily practice has become really, really important to me. And I've been writing about that a little more lately. I hope you've, you've seen those. Um but the big thing is that this is this is a this is an endeavor that I started not knowing what it was going to be, where it was going to go, or what would happen. And it's probably good that I didn't have any expectation that I just jumped in and I started working. And the work has been what matters, and that work has led to really remarkable opportunities and interesting experiences, and mostly some really remarkable connections with people. And um, whether those connections are with friends who were in my life beforehand who have been incredibly supportive or friends who I've met because of this or people I've had the good fortune to interview or talk to or reach out to, um, it's just been an unbelievably humbling experience to have this kind of support and enthusiasm and encouragement. And I want you to know how much I appreciate it. Um, as I said, I'm incredibly proud of the work that I am doing here, and I am truly changed by what I have been doing for the last year. I mean that from the bottom of my heart, uh, but a great deal of that is is down to you and your support, and so I wanted to say thank you for that. Uh, don't forget that every Friday at Rockin' the Suburbs Radio, that's suburbsradio.com, every Friday at noon Eastern, there is a new episode of WAIM Radio, a themed 60-minute radio hour where I play a bunch of songs based around one concept or idea. Recently, I have focused on things like cover songs and uh, what the hell is power pop and uh, a variety of other topics. It's a really fun way to spend an hour and uh, if you don't get a chance to hear the show live when it airs at Suburbs Radio, you can always catch it each Tuesday. There will be an archived episode that's posted here at What Am I Making at the Substack that you can always go back and listen to. In fact, there is a section on the blog just called WAIM Radio where you can go back and you can listen to all of the uh, 
archived episodes that are available there. Uh, make sure that you're getting involved because the other thing we're doing is every week I'm asking for your submissions based on the theme for that week's show. So make sure you're paying attention both to the archived episodes, the live episodes, and making sure that you're letting us know what songs you would include when a particular prompt or theme comes up. Don't forget that I am uh, hitting the road this summer. The Shedio is hitting the road for virtually all of June of 2024. Maddie C., that's me. I will be out all across the eastern half of the United States. I'm going to, I don't know, 20-some states, and it's it's kind of a ridiculous big circle that runs all the way up to Maine, down to Florida, and then kind of back around, uh, and I wind up, uh, I think my last couple shows are like Iowa, Chicago, and Indianapolis are the areas that we're looking at. So um, you can see that it's a real sort of a, a big circle there. Um, part of the really exciting thing with that trip is I'm doing this this thing to help cover some of the costs called a postcard program. And the way this works is basically for a small amount of money, you can help support the tour. And I will pick out a postcard along the route and I will send it to you. And I'll send you a little handwritten note. It'll brighten up your mailbox. And you can get a piece of mail from a real human being that's actual correspondence and not junk and or bills. And you can also throw a couple of uh, pennies my way to help support the tour effort. So head on over to phonofourrecords.com slash postcard program to find out more about that. Please sign up today. Every dollar helps. Don't forget that we've also got a, I'm saying don't forget a lot. Uh, Don't forget, don't forget, don't forget. Now what I'm doing here is I'm reminding you so you don't forget. What I need to do is find a different way to tell you that. So here's a friendly reminder. We have a live in-person screening of the Swedish classic My Life as a Dog coming up on March 13th at the Robin Theater in Lansing, Michigan. You can go to therobintheater.com to buy tickets. You can buy tickets for the screening. Uh, You can also get a combo that will include a copy of the novel on which the film is based. Uh, If you do that, you will be supporting three different businesses in Lansing. You'll be supporting a novel concept, the bookshop that's selling the copies of the book, Uh, The Robin Theater, where the uh, show, the screening, and the moderated Q&A will be hosted. And you'll be supporting me and uh, what am I making and uh, our uh, sort of our ability to do this more frequently. I want this to be a success so that we can try to do this on a regular or semi-regular basis. Again, the film is My Life as a Dog, and we'll be screening it on March 13th at The Robin Theater in Lansing, Michigan. You can buy your tickets now at the robintheater.com. Theater is T-H-E-A-T-R-E. I want to let you know that as you hear this, my fat little feeder in Central America, my mom, I wrote about this for the blog, my mom and I are on a two-week-ish sojourn that will take us from uh, Nicaragua up through Honduras and El Salvador and deposit us into... Guatemala, where we will spend a bunch of time. And while we are on the road, we are hoping to see some beautiful ruins, some amazing uh, landscapes and uh, ecological sites. I'm hoping to do some coffee tours. And mostly I'm hoping to meet and see and get to interact with a lot of locals, a lot of people on the ground in these countries. I suspect I'm going to get to see Uh, A lot of people who are moving northward trying to find a better life in other countries, most specifically the United States of America. And there's probably going to be a lot of things that 
uh, will be a part of this experience that I will find both life-affirming and terrifying. Uh, but I'm excited about all of it, and I'll be sure to, to keep you in the loop. So uh, know that I am recording this pod just a little bit ahead of time so that I can make my exit out to uh, those beautiful, beautiful places where it's going to be warm. It's not going to be 12 degrees like it is in Michigan right now while I'm recording this intro. I also want to remind you that we have a wonderful little party happening right now over the Substack called the Best Band of the 90s Bracket Challenge. There are four new matchups that are announced each Saturday as we break down the best band of the 1990s tourney style. So basically, we're picking the best band based on their recorded output of the 1990s. So will REM live up to their number one seed? Do Pearl Jam and Radiohead have a chance to make the promised land? Can Nirvana find Nirvana? Get voting now and stay tuned for more matchups again every Saturday. I want to also make sure that you are aware and reminded and guilted that this show and the work that I do here at the blog and at WAIM Radio are all powered solely by your financial support. I cannot do this work without your help. I am doing everything I can to leave the paywall down so that nobody is denied access to any of this work based on their desire. Um, I don't want people who want to see this work to be put off or... Uh, prevented by a paywall. That said, I am spending, you know, 40, 50, sometimes even 60 hours a week on this blog and podcast and radio show. And it's a ton of work. And I have to justify that, that time expenditure because it's massive. It's hundreds of hours a month. So if you enjoy what I do, and you appreciate it, and you read this stuff on a daily or semi-daily basis, and you listen to the podcast regularly, please head on over to whatamimaking.substack.com, and you can sign up for a subscription for as little as $5 a month. You can become a monthly, a yearly, or even a founding member. Every dollar that you donate goes right back into my life and the show and the work that I am doing over at whatamimaking.substack.com. So please go over there. Sign up for a paid subscription, help power this work, and make it available for everybody. Don't forget that you can also email the show. I did it again. Don't forget. Email the show at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com. Send me questions, comments, suggestions, guest ideas, whatever you might have. I'll even take a, a cookie recipe, or maybe you've got a really good idea for how I should trim up a brisket or the best way to change a fuse box. I don't know. Maybe you've got suggestions and ideas and brilliance in you that you don't even know. Send me an email over at whatamimakingblog at gmail.com or feel free to even jump on over and go to speakpipe.com slash whatamimaking and you can use the microphone on your computer, your tablet, or your phone and you can leave me a good old-fashioned voicemail. Lastly, I want to make sure that you like, rate, and review the pod wherever you listen. It is really important in growing the audience for the show. Um, perhaps the best and most effective place you could do that is if you are listening in Apple Podcasts, I think we've got nine or ten reviews in there. I would really love to bump that number. I don't want you to lie. I don't want you to go in and make stuff up. But if you enjoy the show and you have a sentence or two that you could say something nice and give us a five-star review, it makes an enormous difference. So please, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or if you even have Apple Podcasts and you're not listening to the show that way, go in, give us a five-star rating and a really nice review. It helps immensely. All right. So we've celebrated... I've brought you up to speed. 
I've asked again for your help and your financial support. Let's get to the real reason you're here, which is my guest. Rolling Stone once declared Peter Brunell to be, quote, one of England's best-kept musical secrets, unquote. England has successfully managed to keep Peter Brunell a secret for all this time, even from itself. It took someone else to show Peter Brunell his own true talent. He began by playing Neil Young and Nick Drake songs in local pubs when a producer first noticed his lovely voice and struck up a conversation. Brunell describes himself as comfortable playing other people's songs and might very well have continued doing nothing more than just that until Vic Martin came along one day and asked him if he had any songs of his own. Brunell did, and soon he played his songs for Martin, who was wholly unimpressed. So Peter went back to work and began writing more intentionally and with greater care. Eventually, he would emerge with the songs for his first album, Cannibal. Nearly 30 years into his recording career, Brunell is now on the verge of his 15th LP and is still always on the prowl for a better song. In our chat, we cover his love for the American Midwest and touring with Sunvolt, as well as how he is now mentoring younger artists the same way that Vic Martin and Pete Smith had once mentored him. A famous English tabloid newspaper with an uncharacteristically decent, albeit very small, album reviews section was surprisingly on the mark in saying, quote, Brunell is Britain's best-kept secret, for whom the word underappreciated was surely invented. And British music mag Mojo continued very much along those same lines with the phrase, quote, Somehow, someway, this cult and infinitely class songwriter must get his due wider recognition. He still hasn't. Well, my friends, here's hoping that we can unleash the secret of genius of Peter Brunell one listener at a time here at What Am I Making? Here now is my chat with British singer-songwriter and all-around great gent, Peter Brunell. Enjoy. Hello. Hey, sir. How are you? Not too bad, thanks. Turn that volume up. No worries. Let me know if I need to do anything on my end. Nah, it's all good, I think. Wonderful. Thanks so much for doing this, Pete. I really appreciate it. No problem. Yeah. How uh, How is life treating you these days? Um, Not too bad. Yeah? I've got a, yeah. I've got a new record written and um, we're just about to go start recording some drums awesome i saw that uh you were kind of doing some looks like you're doing some crowdfunding to make that that happen yeah how has, right. that been, yeah. how has that been going and and um what experience have you had doing crowdfunding for your other releases um i did it for i think i did it for king of madrid uh i didn't want to do it i didn't want to do like a crowdfunding thing where I have to join some company and do all of that. I just, in the end, I sort of thought about it and I just posted on Facebook and I sent out an email on MailChimp uh, to people that I've got their emails that I've kind of 
think I think they're still working. I don't know. I'm not sure really. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It is it I is just, a bit like uh it is a bit like screaming into the dark and hoping their ears out there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I just thought oh, I'll I'll just send out a a message, a few messages in a few different places, uh, and just offer the chance to pre-order the album. That was it. And then I, I think on the on King of Madrid I did pre-order the album, the signed album, just just a CD then. Uh or pre-order so a poster and I think I printed out the lyric, all of the lyrics on uh on the whole album I did a poster with all the lyrics just written oh, out gotcha. on the poster. Uh, and I think that was it. Um, I know I've seen other people sell guitars and stuff that have been used on the record, and I thought about doing that, but I didn't really want to sell anything. So you'd have to give I up. Just, some gear. I, yeah, I just did a pre-order for the CD, and it, it gave me enough money to pay the band up front. That's awesome. Um, what what has the? I guess I mean you've been doing this a long time. How long? How long have you been doing this? Kind of like full-throatedly so to speak i mean uh as a, as well, a quote-unquote professional if you will well i don't know i think i'd probably stop being a professional quite a few years ago and fair enough fair enough I mean, when I, did you uh what was the beginning okay let me ask you a more open-ended question then peter what what was the beginning like for you like what 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 was it that snagged you about rock music and and made you want to write songs uh, well, I gave up my job when I was twenty-one, and I. What was your job? I was working as a telephone engineer. I did an apprenticeship. Okay. When I was seventeen. Okay, so you'd done this for 20. a few years. Yeah, so I did four years apprenticeship, uh, and then for British Telecom, and then I, after four years. They asked me to leave. Really? Yeah, I wasn't into it. And I was just, I was too busy just wanting to go out and go to the pub and stuff. And I just didn't <laughs> like. Being a 21-year-old. Yeah, I, I was just going out all the time. And I wasn't even going to see that many bands, just a few. But I wasn't that into live music then. I was just into going out and. Sure, being a twenty-one-year-old, so so I, they they asked me to leave because I had enough of it by then anyway, and so I wasn't really, I wasn't really there much, and uh, when I was there, I wasn't really interested. So I wasn't very, I wasn't a very good employee, yeah, uh, at all. That uh, back then, um, I think I've improved a little bit now and again, but. Uh, yeah, so so I, I I the only way the, the way that I could make music was I because I'd learned to play guitar in school. I just started gigging in in uh, in bars, uh, just my local place, just to try it out to see how you know if I could do it okay. And and very quickly I just started playing in bars and built up a repertoire really quickly of mostly Nick Drake and. Neil Young and Bob Dylan songs. Okay. And this would have been uh, like early eighties, mid eighties. Uh, yeah, this would have been, yeah. 84, okay. eight, uh, when, no, hang on. When did I leave? 
uh, I was 21 in six in 80, 83. Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> so uh, mid early mid eighties. And this yeah. was, uh, you grew up kind of around London. Yeah. Okay. Suburbs. Yeah. Suburbs. Okay. What was your, yeah. what was your kind of childhood and upbringing like in the suburbs of London? I mean, you were born in the early sixties. Yeah. And so you're growing up kind of in the sort of golden era of rock and roll, uh, kind of in the hub of rock and roll. Uh, that must've been a pretty cool experience. I was too young for it. My sister, I've got two elder sisters and they had Beatles records. So I, I knew the Beatles and, and stuff, sure. uh, but I don't know. I was, but you were okay. But then you were like 15 when punk broke, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. That, that must cool. have had that must have had a big impact on you. I well, it, it's probably a bit uncool, but I was into uh, prog rock at that point. Oh, nice! <laughs> you were the you were the you were the thing that they were rebelling against. That's kind yeah. Of what uh? What was your what was your thing like in high school? What high school into prog rock in high school? That's wild. Like that's G usually Gen much Genesis. Genesis. Yeah, I, I was in the thin. I was in the T Rex. Um, thin Lizzy. I went to see Van Halen on that first record. Oh wow! That, that was really good at the Rainbow Theater. I went to see Thin Lizzy um, at the Hammersmith Odeon. I was in a rock and Thin Lizzy a must have rock. been a hell of an experience. It was fantastic. How old were you? Uh, I don't know. It was the Jailbreak tour. Okay. So I, I, I'm not sure. But you were a teenager. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, I think it was, I think I was maybe still at school. I mean, that's, yeah. That had to be pretty formative. I mean, that, that's a, that is a powerhouse live band for sure. Oh, it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh my God. Who else yeah. was on that? Was there anybody else of note on that bill that you recall? No, I don't remember. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Um, so you had two older sisters. Did they, uh, did they influence your listening habits at all? I mean, I was an older sibling, so I did that to my sister. Right. That's okay. how it works as the younger sibling. How what was that did you, for you? What, what, what did you play her? So I grew up, I graduated high school in, I'm 10 years younger than you. I graduated okay. high school in 1990. And I, this is kind of funny. This is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is that I hear so much of American roots music, obviously, in the work that you do. And it's, right. that's, that's a big part of, of what, what I certainly hear and what, what first drew me to your work. Um, oh, okay. And, and I, as a kid, um, kind of really fell in love with that wave of like English indie, sort of like the college rock bands, you know, well, Smiths. the Smiths, yeah. uh, the cure, um, Echo yeah. the bunny men, bands like that. Yeah, and so brilliant. that was the kind of stuff I was handing down to my sister. Um, the other British cool. thing that was a huge influence on me and still is, was Billy Bragg. And uh -huh. so that was something that I gave to her. Um, the REM would be another one, you know, mm. that's kind of a Robin Hitchcock. Uh, we've got really similar taste. Yeah, I think we do. And you've toured with another guy who I admire a great deal, Jay Farrar. Uh, yeah, of course. And yeah. I, I think a great deal of both both Jay's work in Sunvolt and of course Uncle Tupelo is just ridiculous. 
Yeah. That band, that band kind of changed my life in some ways. I, I had, I had the uncle Chuplo CDs in my car over Christmas for the first time in years. It was great. Isn't it fun to just kind of go back down that rabbit hole for a little bit yeah. and go, Oh, it feels so good. Yeah. It's, like, it's like putting on an old sweater. Yeah. Yeah. It was really good. Yeah. Really. And, uh, loud. When, um, was it just last summer you did that tour with Sunvolt? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I uh, did, uh, um, two and a half weeks in July and then, uh, about three weeks in, uh, um, October, no, okay. November. And that went, yeah. that went well, I hope. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, it was really. Yeah. Um, they're, uh, they're, they're, saw... my, they're my favorite band. So it's. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I'm kind of amazed. Uh, not to talk about somebody else's stuff, but like I'm always kind of I'm kind of amazed at like the level of work that 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 band keeps putting out. Like they're continuing to put out good records. Oh yeah. Well into their career, and that's not a that's not a common thing. You know, usually people kind of taper off a little bit. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Jay's amazing. You've been, doing this, so you've been doing this a long time. Um, mm. You know, and you mentioned some of those those things you started out doing covers of things like Bob Dylan and Nick Drake and Neil Young. Um, mm-hmm. Was it a situation where you just kept playing other people's songs until you started to develop your own voice as a writer? Yeah. Um well, there was a there was a catalyst. Um, I was playing in in a few pubs, um, and I got to know some other musicians that were local. Um, chap called Vic Martin, who used to play in the Eurythmics, and actually, I think he played in the Bee Gees. They ended wow. up playing with Gary Moore uh, and a few other bands. He was a keyboard player. Um, he brought a, a record producer along to one of the gigs I was playing at. And I was just playing uh, covers at this point, and I hadn't I had written some songs, but so this guy Pete Smith came along and uh, liked my voice and said, uh, "Have you written any of your own songs?" And I said, "Yeah, sure, sure I have." So he said, "Okay." Can I come round and hear him at some point? So he came round and uh I played him all my songs and he he said they're shit. <laughs> they're shit. Go write some better ones. And uh, you know, if you write some better ones, I I might be able to help you. So I went away and for the first time I really thought about it. Um and I wrote a few songs that became the first album, Cannibal. Okay. Um, and so I played him. I wrote some songs. I, I got him back round. I said, okay, here, I've written some songs. He said, okay, they're, they're, they're much better. So we went into the, uh, oh, shit, where did we go? London studio. Uh, oh, I can't remember where we went now, but it's a nice one. It's a good studio. <laughs> Uh, and he got some musicians, Jeff Dunn on drums, who was Van Morrison's drummer, mostly, uh, and a chap called Phil Spaulding on bass, um, and uh, Ronnie Johnson, who used to play with Springsteen, 
um, on guitar. Oh, so he put this really pretty cool, cool band yeah. together for me. And I was just a bloke from the pub that was singing Neil Young songs. And then I'd written some songs. And then we had this uh, group of musicians playing with me. So we recorded, uh, I think we recorded three songs over the, over the, a couple of days and then I had to go and write some more songs. And so this happened three times and we ended up with about 10 songs for this first record. Um, and then he got me a deal and then I was a singer songwriter wow. just like that. Just like that. Yeah. That's, it was uh, pretty... that's exactly how it happens in the movies, Peter. That's <laughs> yeah. It was, it was all down to Pete Smith really, because otherwise if he hadn't come along, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't, I was probably, I was just comfortable just being a bloke just playing down the pub, playing Neil Young, really. I I was comfortable and I, I didn't really have, maybe you I didn't, didn't really have, have grand ambitions then. Maybe not. And maybe I didn't have that much belief. I needed somebody to actually come along and say, you can sing good write some good songs and maybe we can do something. You know, I needed, I needed that. I didn't have that much drive. I do now, but maybe it was a confidence thing and a belief thing. Yeah. I, especially if somebody else who's a quote unquote professional validates your work and looks at it, you, even if you have confidence in your work, you, you look at it in a different light and you see it. Try a bit harder and, and try. Yeah. As you yeah. said earlier, I don't think you put it quite this way, but you were a little more intentional about the way you wrote your songs. You just thought about it a little more. Definitely. I tried a lot harder. I took it seriously for the first time. Really, um, you know. Because somebody else took it seriously, right? Mm. Yeah. And uh, I do that. Funnily enough, I do that with, if I meet some younger guys, like I was living in Devon for 20 years and I was, I had a little studio there and I'd help people record their demos and stuff and if anyone was quite good i'd i'd almost want to say to them your songs are, are okay but they're not fucking good enough you yeah. can do better than that you can do better because you need somebody to, to give you a kick in the backside because everybody can 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 write better and do better but some i think they need somebody to tell them and so it was quite a valuable learning experience having somebody be really honest with me and say, they're not really good enough. You can do not, better. Not to be, to take the next step. It's got to be here, right? It can't be here. Mm. It can't be here. Yeah. And you have to have somebody in your life who's willing to go, are, are you willing to work for it? Are you willing to put in the extra time? Or yeah. are you willing to write 10 mediocre songs to get one really good one? Yeah. Um. I, I tell this story all the time, both on the pod and off. Um, when people ask me what my songwriting process is, I say, I don't work hard enough and I get lucky once in a while. And, yeah, that's and, good, and, that's and I one. say, and they say, what do you mean you don't work hard enough? And I said, well, what I need to do is try the Hemingway method. And what I mean by that is that there is this story that's probably not true, but <clears throat> I love it and I want it to be true. Mm -hmm. A young a young writer comes to Hemingway and he says, Mr. Hemingway, do you only write when you get inspired? And Hemingway smirks at him and he says, I sure do, young man. He says, it just so happens I get inspired every morning at 9 a.m. when I sit down at my desk. 
And what he means is inspiration ain't got shit to do with it. Go to work. Just sit down and go to work. And I think if we all had somebody going, how much you work today on that thing that you say is the most important work in your life? How much did you Mm. work on it? How much you work on it today? Now, how much did you play around with it? How much you work on it today? And like, I think as a creator, it's hard sometimes to look at it through that lens and go, was I really just tweaking something because it felt good? Or was I actually working? Like, what was yeah. the focus, you know? That's a really good point. I mean, I, I still don't work hard enough, but... Don't you, think, don't you think most truly ambitious creative people feel that way all the time? That there is this kind of like, that part of the drive, at least for me, part of the drive of whatever I'm doing, whether that's writing songs or working on this blog or doing a podcast, is that I always feel like I'm trying in some small way to just prove my worth. It's one more way of going, hey, I, here's a reason I get to breathe today. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what, what, I don't know why. I, I, it's a habit for me now. That, it's, more, it's as much of a routine as anything, Peter. Yeah, like I just want to have an album worth of songs so that I can, I really enjoy the recording process. Um, you do you I know a lot of artists who love to play live or they love to record. I don't know a ton of people who love to do both. Oh yeah, um, I do. That's awesome. Uh you you still love the process of making records. It can be tedious, right? I don't find it tedious at all. That's I can awesome, I can man. sit there and tweet uh, and edit stuff all day and be really happy. <laughs> Are you uh are you mostly self-producing most of your work? Yeah. Okay. So you're basically, you're doing all the production stuff and then you're just paying a band to come in and record with you. Well, I've got the drummer and bass player that I've been playing with for years now. Okay. So it's actually, it's still that same core trio then. Um. Yeah. Yeah. The same drummer and bass player that were on normal for Bridgewater. Okay. Wow. That's awesome. So we um, play, we play together locally and then when a record comes out we do a tour and so we play together anyway for fun uh about i don't know once every two months or three months or it varies but so there so we've played the new songs already live a a fair bit oh that's awesome so we we kind of workshop it a bit before you started recording Sort of, yeah, except we still haven't really managed to get it, knock them into shape. We've just kind of been busking them. But, Got it. but at least we're becoming familiar with them. And we will have a rehearsal or two before we go in. I've got this friend of mine. I've decided the last record I did with drums, <clears throat> I've, rent, uh, I, I've got a friend in who's got a barn in the back of their garden, and we just set up there for a week and recorded drums into my pro tools uh, studio that i took from home and set up but i decided this record i'd use a friend of mine called jim lowe who mostly works with the stereophonics he's oh yeah done their records for he's he's their main and en- he's been their main engineer for their records and producer for quite a few albums now so he's got studio an hour away and I bumped into him at a wedding uh, last year and 
he also he also was the engineer on Ghost in the Spitfire. So he's I know him pretty well and so we're gonna record the drums in his studio and he's got some great mics and stuff and then I'm gonna do all the overdubs uh back here. That's uh that's becoming a more common way of of making records, especially for folks who are working in it, it sounds like in similar environments. I mean, you can kind of see behind me that I have my little, yeah, my little magic room here. Um, and yeah, and uh, you can do so much with just a little two channel interface. Yeah, of course. And it's just incredible. Like, it's just, it's if the 18 year old version of me would have known that I was going to have all this stuff 30 years later, he would have just been peeing his pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where are you? Where'd you live? I, I live, uh, I live in mid Michigan. Uh, in the states, I live just west of the city of Lansing, which is the the capital of the state. Wow, do you know what Michigan is? I don't know Michigan. I think I went there to a Walmart <laughs> uh, because I was in St. Louis, and I think there was a Walmart because it's almost St. Louis, isn't it? Uh, oh no, no, no! Michigan's- Michigan is like up by Chicago, like up north and east of Chicago, like right above Ohio and Indiana. We're the Hang one on. that looks like a mitten. So hang on. So St. Louis is there in in uh, Missouri, Missouri, and to the right of to the right of Missouri, that's, oh, it's well, Kansas. To the right, to the yeah, yeah, that's Kansas. Oh uh, yeah, of course it yeah. is. Yeah. No, that's all right. That's right. You know your you know your uh, Midwestern American geography. I bet better than I know the Midlands of England. Yeah, well, being there, I bet the- I I bet I couldn't tell you. Um, <clears throat> whether Leeds was east or west of Sheffield, I wouldn't. I wouldn't know that. I would get it wrong. It's I think it's north. east. I think it's northeast, but I don't even know where Sheffield is exactly. Well, well you know what? I'm not sure, but it's sort of north. It's just welcome to welcome to uh, what am I making presents bad geography with Peter Brunell. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, I know the Midwest okay because that's that's my favorite part to tour. Oh, Mid- is it? What yeah. what about the what about the Midwest is appealing to you? I I, I don't know whether it's because I was thinking about this the other day when we were in California and Oregon, which is very nice, but there's something about the Midwest that I I just like St. Louis. I like Minneapolis. I think maybe because I've been there a lot. And, and of I course, will also I will also yeah. say as somebody who's traveled across the states a fair amount, there truly is something about Midwestern politeness that is a real thing. Mm. People here are just a little kinder. It's not that people are bad other places. I don't mean that. People are mm. just a little more o- open and welcoming, and they're more likely to like say hello to a stranger on the street. Whereas, like if you're in New York, that's very unlikely. Like if yeah, you were to just say yeah. hello to a stranger on the street in New York, they might go, "What the hell? Are you, what are you doing?" Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think I think there's some of that. And I what's funny is when I talk to people who are from other parts of the country or other parts of the world, they notice it. And that makes yeah. me happy that it's not just something that I'm picking up on. So maybe maybe it's the niceness. We are very close to Canada. So we picked up on some of their politeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I don't know what it is, but it it's it's real. Oh, it's, it's very, very it's, it's very it's, real. It's, it's not so touristy, um, and that's what I like. That's what I like about it. You know, I love being in New York because it's really exciting. But oh yeah, I really like St. Paul. I really like driving down from 
I like Chicago too. I love Chicago. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if you go south of St. Louis, you've got uh, Nashville, and then, and then for you know, and and uh, what's the other? Memphis. Memphis. Yeah. First, first tour I did with Sunbolt started in Columbia, Missouri, then went back to back down to Nashville, then. Uh, Memphis, sorry, went to Memphis, and that was that blew my mind being in Memphis. I've still, I've, I mean, I've lived here my whole life, and I've still never been to Memphis. Oh, so exciting! Yeah, yeah. was that the first time you'd ever been? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, um, we were opening for Sunvolt at the New Daisy Theater, which was oh, wow. the most amazing wild west looking stage you know it was just oh no kidding it was just mental it was just so exciting um more exciting than than lizzie even more exciting than that than lizzie and we played played mississippi nights as well oh you did yeah you did that must have been a real treat that is a legendary venue Mm, now when you did that um when you did that tour was that with a band did you take your band with you so that was no, just it was solo. Just, no, it was me and James Warborn. Oh, okay. Just the two of us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's uh that's exciting. I unfortunately there were no Michigan dates, so I didn't get a chance to see it. No. I, uh, I had a buddy, he and I were considering coming to DC and the timing just didn't work out, but uh Right. We were very we were very intrigued. Yeah. So hopefully there will be another another go. Oh, that would be nice. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what I don't know what Sunvolt are doing. Yeah, uh, I don't. I don't know. I haven't heard much lately, but I'm sure Jay's working on something. He's not one to sit on his laurels. No, no um, he'll be working on something. Hopefully, what um, what is the kind of the the process of building a record? I mean, you you. It sounds like we know how you record it, but like, how do you go about the process of kind of like? <laughs> deciding you're going to write songs that are specifically for a record or do you just sort of wait until you kind of have a batch of tunes that sort of fit together uh i think i yeah well i just write songs that are basically within the same parameters or same style ish um Although, but basically, I just write songs, um, like I've written a complete folk tune over Christmas on the bazooki. Oh wow! That's that's, that's going to go on the record because I really like it, and I, I I'm the record label, so I haven't got an A and R man telling me I can't put a folk folk song on a on my record, and fuck it. You can I, do whatever dropped, the hell you want, man. Yeah, I have dropped. I, uh, I, I've now got about nine or ten songs that for the, that are going on this record. But there were other songs that were going on this record that I've dropped. So oh. I've got about thirteen songs, and three of them are falling by the wayside. I might try. I might still record them. Um, just in case they come out uh, better than I thought, but we've only got three days recording drums, so I'm going to focus on the ones that I'm 
positive on first, make sure we get them uh, that's, down. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way you got to build it out. Uh, yeah. It helps that you've been working with the same group of folks forever, though. You can, you if you all know each other really well, you can knock out a re- drums on a record in three days. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, because I'm only interested in the drums. You don't worry about getting anything else? No, because we can do that. After. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm actually getting ready to to re-record a record from 20 years ago that I made. All um, oh, right. And um, and we're gonna try to do some of it live. We're not. I don't have the impression that we're gonna get all of everybody's takes live, but I want to try to do at least a couple people live as much yeah. as I can. Try to get try to get my performance singing and playing guitar, keep as much of that as possible with the original drum take and then build it out from there. So it's right. going to be an interesting process to not yeah. just go, okay, it's just about the drum take, right? But at the end of the day, like the drum take is what matters. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm the same. I, I, I We are going to go for, for performances, right. but the take is really all about the drums. We're yeah. not, I'm not going to redo it because I sung a, a bum word or. Right. Bum. Right. Yeah. 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 You, you ganked a note or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, do your, do your bandmates to the, the rhythm section that you record with, do they still enjoy the process too? Is this still fun for them? Oh yeah, I think so. I think we were really looking forward to it. That's awesome. Um, yeah. I have, I have bandmates that I've been playing with for 15 years. And we don't right. make any money doing it, but we still have a blast. Yeah. And I'm really Well, that's the that. thing, though, isn't it? Absolutely it is. Yeah. You know, I... That's why we do it, really. Not it, doing it to get rich. No, and and I'm doing it at this point. I, I kind of... I've, I've been talking to my bandmates a lot about this, that at my age, at 51 years old, I'm kind of at a point where not only is this my... Crea- is that a huge part of my creative life, it is the focal point of my social life too. And yeah, of course. And, and as dudes in middle age, you know, loneliness is pretty rampant amongst men of our generation. Um, yeah. And a lot of that has to do with people who just stop doing stuff. Right. And so this yeah. is a built in way to just like go, Hey, I have to go hang out with my buddies. <laughs> like it's no. kind of great to engineer it that way, I guess, just for a healthy lifestyle. I don't know what I'd do if I didn't have that outlet. I guess I maybe I wouldn't, I would have kept, I, I've still got friends that I see, but I don't see them that often anymore. Whereas I see the people I play music with a lot more and they've right. become, they've become kind of the people that I would call my bestest friends really. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very much in the same boat. The bet the best friends I have in my life, except for one person, are all directly related to music that I make and the and the world around it. Mm, uh, and yeah. I'm very happy for it. And my life is enriched because of it. But yeah, absolutely. You, know, you you can I mean, like anything, you can overfixate on it and spend too much time on this one thing, right? Like we all we can all be a workaholic about our own about our own art. Mm. <laughs> uh well, yeah, you- you've got to be. You gotta when you when you need to when you need to just focus, you got it, haven't you? Otherwise you'll never get it done. You'll never get it done. And uh I tend to be a guy who works really well with a deadline and then I work backwards. 
So if I don't do that, I tend, I notice the deadline keeps moving. Whereas if I say, Hey, the record's going to come out on July 15th, or I'm going to publish this podcast on December 10th or whatever the case is, then I got to work my way backwards to figure out how I'm going to get that work done. Mm. If I don't set that deadline for myself, it's much more likely that I won't finish what I'm working on. Yeah. I booked a tour for September for the album. And you did so this I, very specifically to make yourself finish it. Well, I've got to. I mean, we're recording the drums in February. I should have it done by the end of March. Okay. I mean, like back in the day, you'd go in for three weeks and make the record, and then you'd have to a week mixing or two weeks mixing. Right. Right. And then, but, but then you had a producer who would make all those decisions, and <laughs> those decisions are made and. That's it. Whereas I've got the luxury of spending a lot longer which, on, on each track, and that is good and bad, I suppose. Uh, I think it's good and bad. Um, are you mixing your own records too, or do you send that out? No, I mix it as well. Okay, okay. And the records sound great. I'm not I'm not just like blowing sunshine. Um oh, like thanks. they sound they sound genuinely terrific. Um, I struggle, I have done it, but I struggle to mix my own stuff. If I record it and I arrange it and do all the production stuff on it, I always feel like it's better if I let somebody with objective ears hear it, but I don't ever, you know, I don't want to pay for it. That's the trouble. I'd let, I, I got a guy in, uh, Massachusetts who masters my records. Okay. Pete, Pete Lenane. And I, he, he was the engineer on uh, normal for Bridgewater. Oh, all right. Um, and if I, I would probably get him to mix it. And you know, you know what? He probably would mix it for not much money at all because he's such yeah. a lovely chap. And but I guess it depends how busy he is. But I might, I might throw. I actually, he did mix uh, a song called Mister Sunshine, which was on uh, Nostar Comrade album. I couldn't get it right, so he mixed oh, it. Gotcha. You know what? I think he mixed. I think he mixed it for nothing. Oh my goodness! And uh, he did such a better. He's a better engineer than I am. So I mean, I, I might get him to mix. I better not. You better not. I better not tell him about this podcast. <laughs> but um, I think I might. We'll uh, I might call ask, this the thinking out loud section. I, I think I might actually. Now that you. I've got me thinking about it. I think I might at least throw one or two his way because he's he can do a much better job than I can. Um, and yeah. again, it's like the the record just becomes a little more rich and has more depth to it because you add another voice. You know, like you don't want to muddy the water, but at the same time, like you don't <clears> want it all to be like the same delivery, the same tone, and the same pitch. Like you want there to be some dynamism to it and some. And I think yeah. other people can help kind of, I also think other people are capable of bringing out things that you don't necessarily realize are as great as they are. You know, uh, I, it, that's, that's definitely true. Definitely true. In fact, I, now that I think about it, the last record I did was called journey to the sun. Pete Lenane played all the keyboards on it. I, I okay. sent him a, tra I sent him a track to say, how is this for level and compression and general 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 
just how does it sound to you as far as your mastering job will be on this record? Because he's going to master all my records, I think. Uh, and so I sent him this track. It wrote to me back saying, yeah, it sounds great. It's not too squashed. It's not too compressed. Uh, it's not peaking. Uh, by the way, I've sent you some uh, accordion and ship's harmonium that I did. You don't have to use it, but if you fancy mixing it in, um, please use it. So I, so I put it in, I listened to it. It enhanced the song dramatically. So I wrote back to him saying, that's that's great, Pete. Can we do that on every song? So that's what we <laughs> did. So, so I recorded the acoustic and a bit of 12-string or, I don't know, a bit of synth sound, sent it to him. He added various organic keyboards, sounds, and that's how that record was put together. That's really cool. Yeah, so he he had a massive input on that one actually. Yeah, uh, yeah I was just listening to that this morning, and it's uh, it still very much feels like a Peter Brunnell record, but it um, it's homemade. It's it much feels homemade. yeah, it feels it feels like it feels like your bedroom pop record. It is. It's the lockdown record. Yeah, and I really uh, I found something in you know in, in a non lockdown context you know, almost four years on or whatever from the beginning of that, I I just found it to be a really charming kind of sidestep from your other work. Not that it wasn't part of the same thing, but that you were touching on something different or it felt like it, it brought out a different emotion than maybe something that was a little more fully produced. Mm. Yeah, it was more acoustic, wasn't it? Um, yeah. And then any drums were... With drum machines right and i you know it feels a little maybe a little more vulnerable or a little more yeah intimate. you know i just i really enjoyed it so excellently done oh thanks matty uh what is uh what is it like being uh a singer songwriter trying trying to make a living <laughs> as an artist and dealing with life in the age of spotify how has that affected you would you say i don't know i don't really think about it you don't no okay so uh, the transition from the physical media world to spotify really didn't affect you that much well it did financially just because back in the day i was lucky enough to get a record deal and a publishing deal before the internet fucked it all up for okay. um for record deals so i got a fairly healthy advance um for the first record uh, and the second record. And then after that, I left that label and went to Riker Disc uh, okay. for, the norm, for the normal for Bridgewater record. And they gave me £10,000, which wasn't bad, you know, um, not anything like what I got from the first Al uh, record label, Almo. Um, and I guess I don't, I don't really, I, I've done a few records with this record company called Loose, which is a UK record label. 
and they're great. I really like them, and they're really good friends of mine. But I didn't really make enough money, didn't really do enough sales for me to make money that way. So, so the way that I can make money is just to do it myself. Right. Um, and so that's all I think about, really. Um, the fact that Spotify exists, I, I mean, the music industry was got fucked up a long time ago before Spotify. Oh, it's been it? yeah, for sure. It's always um, been it's always been filled with sleaze bags and people who are gonna exploit you, for sure. Mm. Yeah. So uh, I don't really think about it. I mean, I, okay. I you get a little bit of money from radio play if you get played on BBC Radio Two, right? And and uh, and then all, obviously the smaller ones, you don't really get much money. I don't really get much money from Spotify. No. Uh, but I just don't think about that too much because okay. it's, it's it's not. What I what I focus on is trying to write something that I like, and then record it in an interesting way. And I don't really think about Spotify. I that. think that's great. I think about it way too much. <laughs> what do you think about it though? Um, I but the fact that they don't pay us enough. Yeah, they don't pay us enough. And it's yeah. and I'll be honest with you, Peter. My my situation is that I'm a musician who's digital streaming numbers both because of my tiny tiny audience and because i've never pushed them to that place i spotify could pay 10 times what they pay and i'm not going to make enough money to m make a sizable difference to my life i think that's I, why i don't worry about it as well right it's, you know I'm the same i think what i worry about is i sort of see this middle class of bands that existed when i was growing up and the example that I always use is the replacements. Like I want this group of like working class guys who are in a band who are good at what they do, but they're not superstars. I mm -hmm. don't want to live in a world where the only people who can make music, make money making music are Taylor Swift and Justin Bieber and Bruce Springsteen. Like I, yes. I think we need a world that has a more rich and diverse culture than that. Like I think we can have, musicians i think we can set up a system where people are paying a little bit more and it's a little bit more fair of a system and artists are getting paid and there's going to be this class of musicians who are going to be you know they're going to be the ham and eggers to use a an american phrase you know the people who just show up and they pack their lunch every day and they go to work and they're like they're like journeyman rock bands you know or journeyman mm -hmm. hip-hop acts i i think there's a space for that i don't think art has to be an all or nothing gambit i guess no well i guess but the fact that people can make their own records themselves now and print two thousand of them right sell them over the you know and i guess they the hardest thing for me say for instance in america i couldn't come and tour in america because Nobody knows who I am, and right. you need such a massive budget. Uh, and even then, every state's a different country, really, isn't it? You know, it really it, is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean luckily, touring, to go on tour and say the eastern half of the U.S. is like going in going on tour in the western half of Europe. Mm. 
Yeah, I can't even go and play in Italy or, you know, France because I can't. Nobody knows who I am. I'm just, too small. You, you just can't book a show and make it worthwhile. Uh, I've got uh, I've got a few towns in Spain I can go and play in, uh, play in Paris. Uh, I have played in the Netherlands before, but it wasn't great. But Spain is pretty good. Paris is good. Uh, and, and that's the same for the UK too. Like I can play in Liverpool, Newcastle, Brighton, London, uh, Nottingham, Leicester, and then some Scottish places, and then some places in Ireland. But it's still, Ireland can be good, uh, I guess, if you've got a new record. Just about get a gig in Dublin now. Dublin was better 10 years ago, but so it sort of changes. But what is the what is the music scene? I mean, maybe you're not involved in the quote unquote scene, but what what is the cultural uh, situation like right now in London for say guitar based music? I'm always curious about this. I mean, don't I mean, really rock, know. Okay, I mean, rock and roll is is sort of quickly becoming the new jazz. Like it's not the dominant form of musical culture anymore. And so I'm always kind of curious what it looks like in other places. Yeah, I don't know. I used to, I used to buy Time Out before it went. Uh, I don't think Time Out exists anymore. Well, maybe it does, but it's not quite the same. Um, but it, it's a Time Out was a magazine that a weekly magazine that listed all the gigs, and it, so it was your gig guide basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I used to get that every week, and I used to go to a few different venues. Like all the time, I'd go out two or three times a week to see bands or the Bottle Rockets and the Borderline, uh, different people. Love Some the, of them were on. I sorry? love the Bottle. I love the Bottle Rockets. Yeah, yeah, I love great. that band. Yeah, so we used to go and see bands, in mostly in the Borderline or the. There was another club called the Twelfth. 12 bar club, but that was more acoustic. And there would be people playing there. Saw Jim White there. Um, and Eric Taylor. Do you know that guy, Eric Taylor? The no. Acoustic, acoustic guitar. Kind of folky country guy. It's really good. Um, so there, there used to be a lot more. Well, I say there used to be a lot more on. It seems like there used to be a lot more on. Maybe. It's just I'm out of touch. Um, See, that's what I can't figure out either. Am I am I just old, or yeah. or are things genuinely different? And I think it's probably a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, I yeah, there aren't. I used to get invited to go and see more bands that were on the same label as me and stuff, okay. and and maybe maybe I'm just not getting invited anymore <laughs> maybe they're like he never comes stop asking yeah maybe that's um it. so you think the record will be done sometime over the summer and then you're going to tour in september that's the plan mm -hmm. okay and will that be like a full uk tour then that you'll do no just be a few just the towns that Work for me. Oh, there's okay. Winchester. Win Winchester as well. That works. That's a good one. Okay. Um, there's about, 
I'm doing it over. I don't do a tour anymore, like a full on, like a three week four, run, or fourteen whatever. date tour. I just do long weekends. That's because most that's, of the gigs are on the weekends anyway. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, especially yeah, Liverpool as well. So a few a few dates I've got in the book, and and I, I got to because because of. I'm going to be releasing it myself. I've got to do all the press and all the radio promotion or, you know, try and get played on the radio and all this that is stuff. A, this is another topic of conversation I keep running into with people, and that's all of the different hats one has to wear. As a, It's quite as good a, fun. Uh, it can be. It can yeah. be. Um, I love the different skill sets that are required like you know going okay so today i have to i have to know how to edit video and tomorrow mm. i have to work in logic and then the day after that i have to write this thing and i'm going to do a podcast and you know all these different things but yeah but what i find is that i struggle to keep up with is <clears throat> is just continuing to let people know that i'm a thing and that this is what i'm working on and how do i break through the noise and like that becomes a full that in and of itself, it's a full time job just to run your social media the way that you're supposed to in these these days. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, that, I, that... yeah. I mean, I think I'm. Most people have forgotten about me as well. You know, to try and to try and uh, like, there's a load of Americana is really popular in the UK now, more popular than ever. There's like loads of festivals that have sprung up. And uh, wow. there's loads of young bands that play Americana, and I don't get to play at most of these festivals. Like I'm, I'm too past it. I think you know, I, I just don't. They I think your old up. hat. You think? I don't know what it is. I, I, I think it might be a case of they don't know, they don't know my records. I don't really know, or maybe they just don't like me. Maybe I'm too grumpy. Oh, who knows? I I uh, I find that hard to believe. Um, I mean, Oasis got booked for ever. Yeah, I think, that's I think true, if yeah. Grumpy was a disqualifier. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're quite funny <laughs> though with their grumpiness. Are quite they are. They're uh, they're eminently entertaining in their ass hattery. Yeah. Um, what uh, what do you think is the? Why do you think that? UK has taken to Americana so much, especially in recent years. Ah, oh, I don't know. There's this, uh, there's this company that's kind of, I don't know whether the word is company, but there's this company called AMA UK, and they've kind of got really big and got funding, and uh, I don't is know how. The- the Americana Music Alliance is that what it's called? No, okay, it's not that. All right, it's called the AMA UK. All right, um, and they're great, and they have. I'll tell you what it is. That they basically copied the AMA, the Americana Awards in the US. Okay, that uh, happened in Nashville. You know that that thing that in I September. Do. I do. Yeah, I, I did it. I did it uh, about ten years ago with. Oh wow! With Mike Hydorn from Uncle Chupalo and Sunvolt yeah. on drums, and Dave Boquist, Sunvolt guitar player on bass. 
We did it oh, as a three piece. How fun. It was so much fun. Oh my God. That must have been. You did, you did a whole set? Yeah. Yeah. We did like a 40 minute set or something oh, in a wow. couple of venues. It was great. Uh, so I think what happened is the UK have just emulated that Americana Awards thing. And they do it in uh, January in Hackney over here. And it's great. I've, I've played it at a few times. I've, I was nominated for an award for best song one year. Um, I played at the the awards ceremony and, and it was really good. And it, it, it was actually quite beneficial. It got played on BBC Radio Scotland because of that. And cool. it's a really fun thing. And it's happening. It's happening at the end of this month, actually. I'm going to go to uh, at least one night. Great. That's yeah, awesome. It's good. So uh, I think that might be something to do with it. And this, I don't know, people get. Well, I, I think it's interesting get, how there's a sort of like cultural, at least musically speaking, there's a little bit of a volley between the UK and the US. You know, mm. you get the you get the Elvis and Buddy Holly motown thing and that influences the beatles and the stones and all that thing and then that comes back and it's kind of been yeah. going back and forth forever in in many respects and so this yeah. kind of feels like a new a new arm of that um mm. i i and i think do you think it i also wonder sometimes so much of that americana tradition is built upon celtic folk music right it's built upon mm. yeah you know you know appalachian tunes and the idea of like these little simple three chord songs and I can tell a story, whether that's a ballad or a, you know, um, a reel or whatever. And then that turns into country music and now it is whatever it is. And then there's, there's also this whole version of it in, in England that is very much tied into what you do. And I think, I just think it's a really interesting evolution. Hmm. I mean, I think a lot of the a lot of the stuff that they're calling Americana now, I wouldn't call Americana. Do you have an uh, example? I, 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 oh, I can't. Of course. It's not there. I can't. <laughs> I didn't mean to, but, and I didn't mean to put you on the spot like you'd like shit on somebody. I just, I wondered if there was like a, we'll skip well, it. It's fine. It's but fine. I, I don't think, I don't think that people think, a lot of people don't think that I'm Americana now either. Okay. What do because they think you are? I don't really know. I had this guy that I know, Bob. He, he said, you're just you. Uh, which I took as a compliment, actually. But Absolutely. I think, I think it's sort of Americana-ish, but I like the Kinks as well, and I like the Beatles. So, um, the Kinks know. are one of my very favorite bands. Yeah, um, and yet one of my very favorite Kinks records is Muswell Hillbillies, which is exactly the sort of thing that we're talking about, right? You know that whole, that whole yeah. thing. Peter, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me for a little bit and and go over this stuff, man. This was really, really fun. Well, I, I really thanks for asking you, me, Matty. Of course, man. I wish you the very best with the new record. Um, thank you. Uh, you've already given it a title, yes? Yeah. Houdini yep. and the Sucker Punch. Houdini and the Sucker Punch. What's the story behind the title? I just thought of it. I love it. 
I just thought of it one day and I thought that sounds really cool. I'm gonna have to write a song now called Houdini and the Sucker Punch. You're gonna have to you're gonna have to do it. You did it. Yeah, I, I wrote the song. Yeah. Yeah. Well, me and Bill wrote the song. This guy I wrote the songs with in Vancouver. Oh nice. But again, thank you for doing this. I really, really appreciate your time and uh I can't wait to hear the record, man. Thanks, Matty. It's been really fun. There he goes, Peter Brunnell. Let's make him a little bit less of a kept secret, shall we? Go out, tell your friends, buy some records. Listen on a digital streaming service if you have to, but by God, go out and support that man's work any way that you can. Make sure that you're listening to all of the WAIM radio episodes. Remember, they air each Friday at noon Eastern at suburbsradio.com and are then archived each following Tuesday. Make sure that you uh, let us know about your 13 films list. We're taking submissions now. Reach out. It's lots of fun. We can help you put it together. Uh, Tickets are still available for the My Life is a Dog screening on March 13th at the Robin Theater in Lansing, Michigan. Yours truly, Maddie C., will host a moderated discussion and a live screening of the film. Tickets are available now. And uh, make sure you're voting in our best band of the 90s bracket challenge. That is ongoing. New matchups coming out every Saturday. Until then, I'll be over at the blog, my friends. I love you, and I will see you soon. Bye-bye. Medicine is ADHD. That's a pretty good secret to be keeping, too, that you shouldn't be keeping.